Welcome to our podcast, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Kelly Quinn, Deputy Director of the Choice Program at UMBC. We are thrilled to have you here, Kelly. So Thanks. let's dive right so in. I'm excited to talk about our work. <laughs> awesome. So, Kelly, for our listeners who might not be familiar at all with the Choice Program, could you tell us a little bit about the Choice Program's mission? and vision, as well as some of the services that it offers, particularly in the Department of Juvenile Services and intense, intensive advocacy, as well as jobs and education. There's so much that's going on. Okay, yeah, so I'm delighted to to share a little of the history of choice and, um, and how we imagine a world where children and youth and their families can thrive and that they can remain in community. And we've been doing this work for more than 35 years. We were founded in 1989 in Cherry Hill in South Baltimore, and we still have those offices and um, and operate out of out of Baltimore City, and then also serve throughout Central Maryland now in Prince George's, Montgomery. Howard, Baltimore counties, and then the city as well. And what do we do? We help young people who've been over-policed and underserved and who are under the supervision of the Department of Juvenile Services. And they may be with us for three months or six months. And part of what we do is really an anti-racist, evidence-informed approach to supporting them to helping them not catch another charge and to keeping them in community. So we have uh, staff mentors and AmeriCorps members who support young people through that period, help them um, create SMART goals. And sometimes their SMART goals are things like get a library card, get my driver's permit. Um, and sometimes they are related to their probation requirements. So having to fulfill um, any number of, of uh, tasks. Um, we also know that for young people to do well and to stay in community and to thrive, um, they need a support, they need a job in the formal economy. So part of what we do is provide supportive work um, and workforce development for young people in Baltimore City. We have three social enterprises where young people can get their first job and um, and earn some money. Um, and then we also have programs that will support young people who are needing extra assistance with schools um, or um, want some other kind of job aside from food services. Um, so those are some of the kind of direct services that we provide. We've been doing it for 35, more than 35 years, and we serve several hundred children and youth um, and young adults uh, annually. Wow, that is incredibly impressive. Oof, it's fascinating how the Choice Program has evolved over time. Yeah. Could you share a bit about its history and the key theories of change that underpin its approach? Sure, yeah. So our program was born in the 19, late 1980s and early 1990s. And a little like today, that was a period of a moral panic where sociologists were promoting uh, theories about young people, especially young black people, um, about being super predators. And this was a time when there were violent episodes and crack cocaine um, was abundant in some cities. And so rather than looking at the institutions that were giving rise to that sort of violence, um, 
sociologists started saying that these young black men are beyond humanity, that they are predators in communities, and that they need to be detained, that there'd be no hope for them. These theories have since been discredited, and the authors of these theories have disavowed them. Nonetheless, those fears and um, ideology about young people were written into laws. And it's a re as a result, we have a youth legal system that is incredibly punitive um, and really, in many ways, writes children off. Hmm. Our program was set up to be helpful to young people, and we were set up with a well-intentioned program that, as we look back of it now, was really about monitoring young people. We were basically human GPS systems. Under that model of intervention, what we did is we worked with young people 365 days a year, seven days a week, and then we were available to them 24 hours a day. Our staff and AmeriCorps members would go out three times a day to make sure young people were in school, at home, and then met their curfew. They did fun things along the way, and there was lots of good work. I, I want to be very clear about that. And we also started a jobs program that began in Memorial Stadium and now is at Oriole Park at Camden Yard and in the Inner Harbor now at the University of Baltimore. So I don't want to dismiss the philosophy of what we had then. But in the, in the mid-2000s and 2010s, <laughs> the staff who was working here at the time realized as we started to see the rise of Black Lives Matter in communities that we were reproducing the logic of a carceral state and that with our monitoring, we were in our own way over-policing young people. And so we moved from a model of monitoring to mentoring. And along the way, we started using some of the intervention work that um, researchers here at UNBC first introduced, really. And um, we switched our model to be anti-racist and youth-centered and trauma-responsive and culturally informed. So part of what we've really tried to do is rethink how we are in community with young people and that is one of our major theories of change, that we can change a system by working with individuals. Another major part of our theory of change is that when you come to work at Choice or serve with the AmeriCorps program, we are also changing systems because the people who work here become change agents. And that's our second theory of change, is that we are really trying to build the next generation of human service professionals, of lawyers, of public health officials, school teachers, social workers, and, and engaged citizens and engaged residents. So we believe that we can change systems by working on individuals' lives and then also within institutions like the university or within the Department of Juvenile Services or within schools. Mm. I've got chills right now. Everything you just said is just, it's so beautiful. It's so purposeful. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> it's really an honor for us to be doing this work at a public university um, and to be in service to the state in a moment where we are in another moral panic 
about young people yeah. because of the rise and the proliferation of guns, especially. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than, again, looking at the systems that are giving rise to this level of violence, um, we're turning on the, the young people themselves. And crime is down in every category, not just in Baltimore, not just in the state of Maryland, nationally, except for guns and carjacking. Those two have gone up. Um, and guns is a problem bigger than youth. Um, so yeah. we continue to do this work to try and reframe our legal system, to reframe the kind of work that we do um, on an everyday basis. Hmm. Now, it's wonderful to see how the CHOICE program has found its home within the UMBC community. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about how this partnership has been mutually beneficial, especially in terms of leveraging UMBC's research and resources to inform your intervention model? Yeah, um, I'm so glad you asked, because in a way, it's a good question, like what are, are we doing as service providers embedded within a Research One university and a university that is committed to community engagement, right? Those Carnegie classifications don't mean so much to the young people we're serving. Like wh why would you know about higher education sort of business? But the work of our colleagues, the faculty, staff, and students informs what we do. As I mentioned earlier, um, we started using the work of Carlo Di Clemente, a psychology professor, of Emer uh, an emeritus psychology professor, and his really pathbreaking work on motivational interviewing and the systems of change. And in fact, in the past two years, we worked with him and uh, Dr. Bronwyn Hunter of Columbia University's uh, Justice Lab, and then also a team of graduate students, UNBC graduate students, students and the Habits Lab crew at UNBC Training Center to make a really bespoke, self-guided training module where our staff and AmeriCorps members are trained in how to do a new kind of GPS, goal planning strategy. So we say that we were GPS like following young people and tracking them geographically, but now we say we're GPS using the work of researchers and graduate students here to train and inform our work. So that's mm -hmm. that's one way. And then another kind of major way is that students on a regular basis through our institutional home in the Shriver Center come and volunteer with us for college nights. And that's through our service learning and community engagement efforts. Um, and what's really incredible about that is that our mission is to end the school to prison pipeline and one of the unique, unique ways that a university can do that is by inviting young people to come to campus, to meet college students, to go eat all you can eat at True Grits. That's always the favorite part on a college night is eating as much tan food as you can possibly handle on your tray um, from True Grits, doing an activity with some of our undergraduate students. Like maybe they're gonna drop eggs from the side of a building um, in a little kind of cradle and then head over to the rack. Um, and to have young people know that college could be a place for them and that they will see people like themselves who are also from the Baltimore region um, here on campus, or maybe meet somebody from New Jersey and learn like, oh, 
you come to Maryland to study, right? And the young people are also teaching the students about systems. They're not just teaching them like new vocabulary or really great dance moves. They're also helping our students understand what does it mean to be a young person in central Maryland um, and to face the kind of over-policing um, that some of our young people have experienced, but then also see like young people have hopes for themselves and for their future. So getting to dream with them, I think is really important. We also, within the Shriver Center, we also have um, the Peace Worker Program, which is for returning Peace Corps veterans. And, um, and we have two Peace Corps peace workers serving with us now. One is a um, liaison to the Latina community um, here in Central Maryland. And then another works with their social enterprises also. So bringing some of the skills and empathy that they brought back with them after their year, um, years of service abroad um, to our work here, I think is also really powerful. And then there's a third way that we're stitched within the Schreiber Center and thinking about the larger community. And that's through the community leadership um, graduate program and certificate. And some of our students have taken classes, some of our staff and AmeriCorps members have taken classes in CLDR. And then also um, we benefit from understanding the kind of skills and tools that, um, that those community leaders offer um, for our greater community. And it's so interesting you said that because I have been speaking with a number of community leadership graduates yeah. on the podcast recently. Yeah. And I just spoke with some with, with one person last month and she was talking about the Peace Corps yeah. and her experience with that. And so yeah. it's just interesting that you bring yeah. that up. Mm -hmm. You also talked to Becca Henry recently and she was a choice um, staff person for many years. She began as an AmeriCorps member. She studied in CLDR and now she's doing incredible work with Baltimore City Schools. But yeah. Becca is a great example of the kind of ways in which we um, see how we're preparing the next generation of um, change agents. She's a, a spectacular example. It's a great it's great that we have that you provide that context, that opportunity for people within the UMBC community to be able to roll their sleeves up and do the work and see how it's see how it is affecting the overall larger community. It's yeah. a it's a really great thing. It's clear that Choice is actively engaged in advocacy and service on various levels. Yeah. Could you highlight some key initiatives and coalitions where Choice plays a pivotal role in affecting positive change within communities, the state, and sure. even on a national scale? Sure. Well, I'd like to. So, so Becca's an example, right, of somebody who's gone on to work in city schools, um, and we keep our eyes on the local institutions. We often. In, in Maryland think that we are a strong blue state that holds progressive values. And in fact, when we look at the ways in which our legal system treats young people, what we see is that in fact, we routinely violate young people's human rights. And Eric Ford, our executive director, um, served on a bipartisan commission um, for two years called the Juvenile Justice Reform Council. And that put together an omnibus bill of legislation um, to reform the legal system um, for young people. And 
Eric is one of the leaders who could contribute to young people's, like amplifying young people's voices, but then also really trying to point out how there are racial ethnic disparities within the system. And we both, Eric served on the commission, we provided written and um, oral testimony last year and advocated with legislators about the kind of positive change that we wanted to see. We were partially successful. Um, one major piece of that legislation has not been able to pass for the past 13 years. And that was something that really was part of that logic of the super predator myth. We introduced legislation and it passed last October 1st. It was it became law in Maryland. Uh, when I say we, I mean the collective we, choice UNBC did not introduce this legislation, uh, but Eric is involved in proposing it. And at that time, what we said in the state of Maryland, what our legislators decided was that all young people who were going to be interrogated by the police had the had the right to know that they could have a lawyer present. What we have learned, we up until last October first. Young people in Maryland did not have the right to know that they needed to that they could have an attorney present. So we've had this major change in this past year. This summer, several of our elected prosecutors and elected officials have started to say that that law is preventing the police from doing their jobs. And as somebody said recently on a call before the Judiciary Committee in Annapolis, it's too bad that the Constitution is getting in the way of serving young people and solving crime. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete, it was dripping with sarcasm, right? Like young people have the right to have an attorney present. And that is now under assault this year. And um, Eric was part of the coalition to reform that. He is part of a kind of watchdog group now who is lobbying and advocating around it. He will be testifying um, in the coming weeks and months about the changes in this law, proposed changes in this law. He also was part of the state advisory group. He was um, uh, appointed by um, uh, Governor Hogan um, and served across the state of Maryland, trying to understand how to um, how to set up a, a more just system with the Department of Juvenile Services. He served on Westmore's transition team for public safety. And I'm um, not just working at the state level, but Eric is also a leader in the American Association of College and Universities Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Project. And so through that, Eric brought the TRHT Center to campus and routinely runs racial healing circles not just on main campus, but at USG, at Montgomery College, at Prince George's Community College, throughout the region, and, and with our staff and, and people in Schreiber, too. Um, and part of the theory of change for TRHT is realizing that white supremacy culture has stripped people of their dignity and their humanity. And one way that we can learn and relearn and unlearn the legacy of white supremacy is to be in community and to be in conversation, a little like we're doing right now, changing these 
changing a larger narrative by having conversations. So he runs these truth, racial healing and transformation circles. One of our peace workers has just been trained in this, and she also is uh, co-facilitating these circles. And then another major part of that is trying to reframe larger narratives and tell different kinds of stories. So I think Eric's a great example of working at the state level and then at the national level. And I do some work at the local level. I represent choice um, with a youth led movement in Baltimore City around police, school police accountability. And this is led by a really terrific group of young people called Youth as Resources. And so they have, we have regular meetings to try and understand what's happening with school police and school resource officers in the state of Maryland. And then I recently was just um, elected the um, chairperson of the Coalition to Reform School Discipline. So as you may hear from the kind of titles and the work that the committees that Eric and I serve on, and it's the kind of coalitions that we're part of, we stay very narrowly focused in our lane of advocacy within the youth legal system as we're trying to effectuate change. We have strong opinions about lots of different kinds of things that are happening for young people in the state. And our primary focus is what we know best. And that is how to make the world fairer for young people, to help them stay in community, to help them be with their family, to help them lead the kind of lives that they imagine for themselves. Hmm. It's amazing work. Wow. I I can just imagine there are like myself, there are probably a lot of people listening who will be listening to this or watching this on YouTube from the UMBC community, realizing, wow, I didn't even know that this was happening on campus. Is there uh, a place you would send folks to learn more information about the choice program or? Yeah, I think I'm so glad you asked. I think our website is a good is a good place to start Mm -hmm. um, because it does lay out our mission and vision um, and then um, also outlines the kind of um, work that we do in each of our programs in intensive advocacy and in jobs and in education. It also has information about our annual reports. And so you could get some sense of what our impact has been. Um, So those are some of the kind of main places. I'd also encourage you to check out our social media at Choice Voices, um, for example, on Instagram. And Choice Jobs has really great stories right now about what it's been like to work at Oriole Park at Canvin Yards during a really winning season um, or or the kind of day-to-day work uh, that we do. Um, So those are some places. Check us out on social media. And then um, also please consider, um, you know, checking out our website. I'd say that there's a third place and that I would invite people who are curious um, to come along to. And that's on a regular basis. We, I host a systems change conversation where it's called systems change and, and truth, racial healing and transformation. So if people want to check that out, I encourage you just to be in touch um, with us in choice. And that's a place where we look at um, and do some teaching around the major issues on youth, uh, on, youth on the youth legal system. And we keep a, a kind of a watch list of what are the bills that are pending and changes um, for for good and for bad um, in, in terms of our advocacy efforts. Uh, so those are, are places that come to my mind. Mm, that's fantastic. Kelly, is there anything that I have not asked you that you feel would lend even more value to this great conversation that we've had? Yeah. Um, several years ago, uh, Choice 
worked with young people in our programs and the local youth-led group called Wide Angle Media. And as part of that campaign, they produced a series of videos. And one of the things that the young people always insist in that video is that they are not defined by their worst day. And I think that's a really powerful um, sentiment for us to follow and I think a call to action. They also insist that they're not defined by their past trauma. And I think that's also really powerful. And then a, a third thing they insist there is that they want you to slow down. They want us to slow down and listen to them. And I just wish everybody could see that video because those young people are so right. Um, let's not let's not assume that the young people we see um, are are fully defined by what we see in the news, um, and really listen to who they are and what they want um, for themselves because they dream of a different world. Yeah, great life lessons. Wow, thank you, Kelly, so much sure. for sharing. Sure, thank you. Yeah, for shedding light on the incredible work being done by the Choice Program at UMBC. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, if you'd like to learn more about Choice, you can find additional information on their website and check out the sources mentioned in our conversation today. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much. Thanks.